everybody, and welcome back to Don't Quit Your Day Job. I actually just read today that there are no plans for stimulus checks right now, so I'm strongly encouraging you to not quit your day job unless unless um, you're going to win the lottery or something like that. Uh, today, I am very, very happy to say that my guest is a dude named Daniel Formica, all the way from Los Angeles, California. Um, I think I pronounced that that state right. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, Dan, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it, man. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> I do. I, thanks, Mark, for telling for telling me about it. Yeah, absolutely. So our mutual friend, so Dan and I have never met, but our mutual friend, uh, Mark Tremalia, who's a frequent, my, my regular guest on this show, done all that stuff, played guitar for everybody in the world. Uh, he told me I absolutely needed to talk to Dan, his buddy Dan, um, who's a singer and an awesome dude and has a ton of stories. So, so here we are. I hope Mark hasn't set the bar too high. Dan, are you worried about that at all? No, I, I love the interview. I just listened to it the other day because I wanted to see how the format was. And I was like, this, it was great because it was making me laugh. It was making me think about the first time when I first got to L.A., and I went to go see his band arrive. I like, come out and see the band, but they were playing outside of Hollywood for like a warm-up gig type thing. I don't, he'll remember it. And the place had like had like bars around it or wooden bars around the stage, sort of. And the singer was just crazy, man. He was jumping all over the place. Like I remember him, that, that <laughs> singer dude jumping all over the place, like not staying on the stage. Like I just remember that about them guys. So if we if we go back to that time. Um did did Mark move out before you or did you move out before him? Mark moved before me. Okay. And did yeah, you I, I, we're all from Connecticut, although I didn't know you back then. Um, but did did you were you and Mark friendly back in Connecticut before you yeah. both moved out? Okay. Right towards the right before he moved. Uh right yeah, right it was kind of like we, we were we got friendly and then he was like, "Yeah, I'm moving to California." Like that's what I, I might get that wrong. <laughs> Okay, Matt. But that's what I remember. I remember hanging a few times shows. I I had a band uh, that play where I play guitar. I was a guitar player, and and he I think his band played with us. If I, if I remember correctly, or our other friends from a band called Hollywood played with us, and we were all hanging out together as Kid Tony, and that's that's how I met Mark, if I remember correctly. And then Mark moved. Yeah, and I, I didn't move for a couple of years. It was about two years after he moved. Okay, I got there. In, I got there in '89. Okay. So what we've talked a lot about Mark's reason for moving in the early days with Mariah and all of that. What was, what was your motivation to move out there? Was it to, because that were, that's where you thought you could be in a band or did you want to be a star or did you just want to do something in the scene? <laughs> we, we had a band for a, a few years. Like right when I was in high school, I had joined this band called Sequin Rouge. And it was like a total glam band, like really glam. I'm talking like, yeah, like Poison, Poison, <laughs> New York Dolls, glam, glam, glam. So who did your who did your makeup before you go on with the story? Oh, I'm gonna have been Mark. I don't know. It was it was. It, <laughs> it's like it, I remember my first gig June with that band, June 11th, 1987. That was my, and one of the girls from my high school was a really good friend of mine. I went to her house before the gig, and sat in her bathroom. And she did all my makeup. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Yeah, we uh, so I was in that band, and then that si the singer after a couple of years, the singer left and the bass player left. Mike Duda, who's also from Connecticut, who's the bass player for Wasp. He's been in Wasp right, for yeah, yeah, 20 years. 
So uh, Mike moved. We, we, Mike was going to stay, but he he wanted to check out the singers with us, and we weren't finding our singer Val was really really good. Uh, he actually had passed away years later in Los Angeles, but uh, he was he was excellent showman, really good singer. And Mike was like, "Ah, Val's not in the band. You know, I'm out. Even no matter who we get, you know." So um, we found another singer and another bass player, and we kept the band together, me and the drummer. And then we were we played around for about a year and a half, two years, and then we were like, the whole reason for moving to California was like, okay, we can play around here as much as we can, but I remember saying, well, we you know the guy that's a the farmer doesn't go to New York to farm, you know, he goes out to out in the woods somewhere and he finds a big open land and that's because <laughs> farmer. So that was my mentality. So we were like, okay, L.A., New York, that was our thing. Okay, and we just decided. Well, Let's go to L.A. It's warmer. And we knew we had friends out there. We had Mark out there. Joe Delaney was out there. It was friends. Val was out there. Dude, I was out there. There was friends. So we said, let's just give it a shot. So me, the bass player, and the drummer moved. And the singer, we left home. Okay. So, so the singer wasn't interested or you, you wanted to go without him? Or? I think we wanted to go without him. I hope he doesn't get mad at me if he hears this. I think <laughs> we wanted to go without him. But I also think he just wasn't ready. He didn't want to go. Like, you know, he just wasn't ready to up and move. Like, we, we were really gung-ho about doing it. And I moved out for a couple of months and moved home. I think I was there for two months, and I didn't like it. I was like, I don't like this. And I moved home, and then I got home, and I realized I made a mistake. And I moved back <laughs> about two months after that. <laughs> wow. So so let's talk about that for a second. So what what's going through your head? What makes you move back because you didn't like it, and then – why the change of heart? What what was the motivation again there? So we got out there without a singer and we knew the sound that we wanted. We knew what we wanted and we had a, we were looking and looking and looking and looking and we just couldn't find a singer. We were having a hard time. And then the idea came up. All right, Mark's in this too. Let's have Dan sing, me. And I wasn't a very good singer. I don't even know if I still am a good singer, but I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Let's get Mark on guitar. So I think we did a rehearsal or two. We did a couple, but I just wasn't comfortable. And I missed my girlfriend. And <laughs> Classic. And, and, yeah, but we had tried to find a singer. And then I just was like, guys, this isn't happening. Like, Because a lot of the bands just weren't – the singers just – they were really more into being glam. Like – and we weren't glam anymore, actually. We weren't glam anymore. We wanted a really, I wanted a really good singer like Ray Gillen from Badlands, or I wanted someone that was a really good singer, and we couldn't find it. We were having a really hard time. And so I moved home for about, it wasn't long. It was only a couple months. And then I, was, I, I moved back, and then we kept looking, and then we found our singer. We found this guy, Desi, who was great. He was a killer singer. So when you were getting ready to leave Connecticut, um, did you, you had a day job, I'm presuming you were just doing whatever. And then w did you just like, you know, screw this. I'm just dropping everything. I think we need to go to LA. Was that really it? Yeah. I had a job at a company called Harris 3M. You might remember looking on like fax machines, the paper, Harris 3M, Harris okay. paper. Yeah. 3M. It's like the bot. Like, I worked for them and they offered me a really, really good job. And my mother was really mad because I was like, nope, moving to LA. <laughs> I'm out. I just, nothing, nothing up my sleeve. Just, just, I, we all saved money. That was our thing. Like, okay, everyone's got to save, you know, five grand, you know, okay. and that was our thing. Okay. Yeah. 
so when Mark, we just recently talked about this in one of the recent episodes with Mark, he said when he moved out there, his sole objective was to be a musician, to, you know, work Mariah, to, to do the band stuff. And it wasn't until a couple of months later that, you know, he wanted to eat and he wanted a place to live. So he thought, okay, now I'll, I'll get a job. Was yeah. that, so you already saved. So I think you were ahead of the game. You were planning a little bit, but was it the same sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, when I moved back, I lost a lot of my money because I shipped back my Marshalls. I mean, I was an idiot. <laughs> I shipped back, I sold my car. I had a, a Datsun B210, sold that. I was so dumb. And I moved home and I, right when I got home, I was like, I got to get back out there. I don't, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, a, a lesson you learn. And I uh, went back and I had no money. So then it was telemarketing. That's what we all did. Yeah. Everyone knows that's what we did. It, it started, <laughs> it started and we sold VHS tapes with Mark's bass player, Paul, John, my drummer, me. I think Glenn worked for a short time. But Glenn, our bass player, was like a really good uh, construction guy. He had the license to operate a backhoe and all that stuff. Okay. So he got really good job out of the gate. Like he could find those kind of jobs. But we, me and John had to do telemarketing. So we started a VHS place where you sold movies, like B-movies or porn or whatever. And it was just the funniest thing. There's some funny tapes out there of recordings, like, or, or, like kind of pre-Jerky Boy. That's really funny from Mark's roommate, Paul. Was it, there was a guy named Register Man because they sold register tape too. So that, that's a whole thing. But yeah, we went into that and I got into telemarketing, but I wasn't great on the phone. I wasn't great at selling, but I became what they call a verifier because I was, I guess I was just quick. So the verifier was like, say Mark made a sale. He would go, Dan, come here. Raise his hand. I roll over. Grab it. Hi, this is Dan. I'm calling from, you're calling a logical. You're going to switch for your logical or a current long distance carry to logical for a 30 day trial. Yes. And you have your address there. Okay, great. See you soon. Bye. And that was my job. <laughs> so I still remember a little bit of the pitch. It was called logical at the wow. time we were at that point. After that, we were selling phone service. And, uh, and that's where we, oh God, everybody worked there. That's like a huge company. And when were you able to quit that job because something was happening? So the band did really well. Like we got like a lot of interest very quickly. Right when we got Desi, our singer, we we, we were very we got um, a lot of interest, which was great. I think a lot of bands did though. Like I th I say that now, like oh it was great, we got interest. I think a lot of bands got interest, but we did, and we thought we did like a couple demo deals, and we thought things were going to happen. And kind of like Mark had said on on the podcast, like everything just overnight just flipped, and it went to Seattle, and all of a sudden. <laughs> The strip that was 2000, because we played Gazaris, the Roxy, all that stuff, just dried up and they wouldn't let you fly on the strip anymore. And they wouldn't let anybody, there was no people on the strip anymore. It was just over. So you played in the valley. You played in a place called FM Station, which was a very famous club where everybody played. And then that happened. And then, so yeah, that was kind of the deal. Like, and then we did that for a few years. And then I kind of, I left. Uh, I moved, I, did it for a couple more years, and the band just kind of slowly split around 94. And I just said, well, I wanted to sing. I knew I wanted to sing. But I was always told, that, oh, you have a good background singer voice, so you should be a back background singer. <laughs> so, But I really wanted to sing. So I was like, because I had to deal with guitar players like Mark, as you know. And I'm like, I'm never going to be as good as this dude. Yeah. I'm never going to be right, like this. Like, yeah. I can sing, and I've been asked to sing. I think I'm going to go this route. So I started studying a little bit 
in Los Angeles. And then I moved back home and I just practiced singing and, and started with a little trio acoustic band, like singing my favorite cover songs. I had never really played covers before, just a little bit in high school, but never been in a, it was a cover band. So, so we can certainly, I, I would like to talk about your, your singing stuff. So you have a, a business called your vocal right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the name of it. And you're yep. teaching guys maybe like me to sing. So I've played in punk bands for 30 years and I've now learned to scream in key, but I write all of my songs in the same key. So it's not so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I studied since that time, since I left. My first teacher there in Los Angeles was a lady named Gloria Rush. And then from there, I just, wherever I could find a teacher or somebody's had tapes of Seth Riggs' first tape thing, lessons on tape, I'd get those. I studied, did whatever I could to figure out how to sing. And actually, it took me until I was about 40 three, 44 years old no. to actually figure it out. Really? Not lying. Yeah, I was horrible, horrible. Like, and I practiced so much, but I just, I never had teachers that sang. They just taught until I found a teacher that sang. And I was like, Oh, I'm not doing that. They're just having me go. And I thought that was going to strengthen my voice. Little, little did I know, like there was a lot more. I found classical teachers. I finally went that route. I just started studying with opera teachers. So so here's a serious question. I've certainly yeah. played in some cover bands over the years, and, and I like to, to keep busy, and I'll pretty much do whatever project um, asks me to play guitar. But no one asks me to sing for obvious reasons. And one of the obvious reasons is that uh, there are really good singers out there, right? And so my friend Lindsay, who, who I still play with um, quite a bit, she lives in the Chicago area, she's an amazing singer, right? But she's like... To me, her her singing talent just comes from somewhere within, right? Whereas a guy like me, I've learned to do what I can do over 30 years. So is there, can, I have heard this many times, anybody can learn to sing. But to me, Lindsay didn't learn to sing. She just can sing. So what, what what's the difference there? I think it's how you, I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with how you're brought up. That's a great question because I, like, Everyone in my, my family, if they speak, my one, one of my uh, sisters t- teaches aerobics. She blows her voice out all the time and calls me. What do I do? I'm blowing my voice out. My father, when he, like, I called my dad once in a while. I'm like, what's up? And, hey, what's going on? What happened to your voice? I don't know. I talk too much. And then my mother gets like a frog in her throat. So I come from a long line of bad speaking. Like, we don't use our voices correct. I think it has a lot to do with, yeah, upbringing. So you take someone like, I always bring Jennifer Hudson up. As, as a great example, because she's been singing since she came out of the womb, like right. hearing grandma, auntie, mommy, you know, and they're listening to the music. We don't listen to music in my house much, you know, so I think all that comes into it. And if you're lucky, you you move your voice into the direction that's correct. Um, I have a friend like uh, my buddy, Joe Retta, who's a phenomenal singer, like one of the best singers I know. And he's never taken lessons, you know, and he sings anything you want beautifully. You name it, he sings it. And, you know, I'm always freaking out. I'm like, how do you do that? How do you? And he's like, you just got to feel it, man. You got to. 
It just came to him at a young age, awesome. you know, and, and if it doesn't, you study. If you study, you could sing, you could sing like Steve Perry if you wanted. You just got to study. I never thought I could, but I'm able to sing what I want now, which makes me happy. People will go, oh, I don't like the sound of your voice, maybe. Well, that's not my problem. That's your problem. <laughs> I know that I can lead to it and I could do it night after night after night and get through it and do what I need to do to, to make my living as a singer. So, so it, there's definitely a skill. What about a guy like Graham Bonnet who's been singing for 60 years, right? So I love that first Alcatraz album that he's on and the okay. that's the first time I heard Ingve and his voice okay. is so iconic and so awesome and now yeah. he's old, you know, he's an old man and okay. I have certainly heard through the grapevine that he's not actually singing anymore, right? He's doing right. playback or or whatever. But that's a guy who's sung night after night for 60 years. Can is that is, can can the human body do that? I love the question because all I got to say is I'll say two names: Glenn Hughes, right? Yeah, right? awesome. Go yeah. listen to him right now. Yeah, same age. Yeah, doesn't sound any different, does he? No, he's amazing. That's true. Ready for this one? Mickey Thomas from Jefferson Starship. Jefferson Starship, who sang with Elvin Bishop, of fooled around and fell. You know that that tune. Yeah. Listen to him. I did a gig with him uh, just about a year ago, a couple months before COVID. And I was like, first time meeting him and I'm backstage and I was just like, what did you do? You know? And he's like, he's sipping a Dixie cup of Chardonnay. I said, what's in the Dixie cup? Is that a secret? (laughs) And he was like, I guess it kind of is. He goes, well, it's not a secret. He goes, I just sip Chardonnay through the day. I don't get drunk. I just sip it. It's a little Dixie cup. And I go, is that a singer thing? He goes, "I, I guess it is now. And I, I go, do you warm up? And he's like, a little. I was warming up a little bit in my hotel. I warm. I heard him warming next to me in the in the other dressing room, and it, he was just singing some blues riffs, kind of a thing. But he's just got it. He's just got it. And if you there's, but if you don't have it, I didn't have it. And you, but you can learn it. That is one hundred percent sure because I went through the ringer. Like it took me a long time to figure it out. So there are times now when I take lessons from Mark at some point in in our lessons and he says something, he's probably said it to me, honestly, 50 times. And then that one time it's like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. And then I can do it. I can play it or I can understand the concept better. Uh, Did you have that eureka moment with singing at at some point? I, I, I had a eureka moment early on. I could make this sound. I remember it was my, uh, my wife now, who was my girlfriend then, we were living together, and I had been practicing some stuff. I was always practicing. All I did was warm up and practice, and I was doing something with my voice different. I, I found like this position that I could do when I was younger, and I remembered this thing. I was like, I called it my fake opera man voice. Okay. Sounds and I like did a it comic before. comic character. Like a yeah, it's character. exactly what it is, actually. It's like a, it's a, it's like a, a character voice. And I made this sound, and she was like, wow, it's really loud and piercing like but it's it's not yelly it's not yelly okay. it's like a laser so you can be loud and yelly or you can be like a laser beam loud right like a direct sound and uh and i was like i couldn't use it it was unusable but everything that i've ever read in all the books that i have talked about the throat outside being relaxed the face being relaxed the the head being relaxed you don't have to make all these strange faces and cringe to sing and I could do all that with this sound but I could I couldn't use it but I would say uh it was 2007 
So, you know, maybe four, five years later, I gave into that sound. And I said, I'm going to do this sound for like two or three months. I'm just going to do this sound. And, and if it works, it works. If it don't, I'm going to get a job doing something else because I'm sick of struggling because my voice, my, my range was coming down as I got older. Right. Like every kind of rock and roll singer, my range is right. starting to diminish. I'm 52. It was starting to come down in my 40s. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that. I want to sing in the keys that they're written. And I want to. And I gave it that shot. And lo and behold, it was the key to what I was missing. And then I could go to my coach, who was really a really good opera singer, and go, hey, man, I kind of found this thing. You might not like the way I describe it, but what do you think of the sound? And he goes, that's it. You know, and then from there, I could work with all the lessons, all the money I spent in the past. I could work with the scales and the the things in this right. new refined kind of voice. And then it refined itself. It just like anything, it, it, it became my voice. That, that's, <clears throat> that is actually pretty great. And, um, very, um, it, it, it's, it's an optimistic view for, again, for someone like me or some old punk rock guy that, uh, changes is, I guess, possible if you, like, I guess like anything, if you work at it, then you can, you can do what you want. You know, the similar thing happened with guitar, though. When I think about guitar, you, you know Jimmy Bell, yeah. yes? Yeah, Connecticut guy, oh. fast, super fast player, yeah. Uh, right, it's just amazing guitar, amazing yeah. musician. He still practices six hours, eight hours a day. He's so dedicated to his art, you know, and he's yeah. amazing. I took from him as a, as a kid. That's how I met Joe Delaney, who was talking about who, who yeah. he was talking And when I took from for a long time, I held my pick a certain way, kind of like most guys do, I guess. It would be like sort yeah. of like this, you know. And 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 I would practice so much. I wrote all the exercises down. I practiced, and I just couldn't get clean. It was so sloppy. It was disgusting. <laughs> and I said, Jimmy, "What are you doing with your your with your pick in here? Where's your pick?" And he showed me how he held his pick, and it was different. So I just made a connection at that age. I said, "Okay." So I put double sided tape on the pick. And I take my fingers to the pick. And then from there, I didn't let that pick out of my hand. I wrote with it. I walked to school with it. I did everything with that pick in my hand until it became second nature. And then my speed picking became very easy and clean. I just took that little movement just from right. there to hold the pick. And boom, then boom. it's often those those little things that, that make all the difference in the world, especially as you get to a certain level where you can do what you do. Right. And now if you want to get better, it takes all of these very refined techniques to, to get better and be brave to go. All right. Maybe I'm a little wrong here. Maybe I should do this. Yeah. That's it's also not a not a thing young young guys in their twenties want to admit ever, right? You know, it took. I didn't take lessons. Honestly, I didn't take lessons till I reconnected with Mark. You know, like ten years ago, right? So I didn't take lessons my whole life, and then I happened to reconnect with Mark, and he was like, "Well, I'll give you lessons over Skype if you want." I'm like, "Damn, I could actually get better now." Finally, <laughs> great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so this has been great and the time has gone by so quickly. So I'm going to ask one more question and then we'll leave it there. Um, and the, the, the question is the Playboy Mansion. You've played at the Playboy Mansion. So uh-huh. do you just like knock on the door one day and say, hey, I'm a vocalist. I'm just going to come in and sing for everyone that's hanging around sometime. Is that is that is that the move? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I when I moved. Yeah, after I moved back 
the Connecticut those those years to learn to sing. I got involved in a company um, called the Boogie Nights, uh, Perfect World Entertainment, and they have disco bands and '80s bands all over the country. So I did it in New York for like three, four years, New York, Connecticut, and then I moved to Atlanta to do it, and Chicago, and then it enabled me to move back out to Los Angeles probably around 2002, 2001, no, 2002. And, and from there, just doing 80s and 70s gigs. And then I got involved in, uh, I, I had left that, I, I was with that company for, for a bunch of years. And then I, I left for a little bit and I got involved in another company and uh, they were doing an 80s gig and it just happened to be at the Playboy Mansion. And we played, and was a, there was a rapper playing that was the, the headliner and then us, nobody cared about us. Like it was all tons of people. Like it was so cool that the, the grounds were so cool. Where we changed was in this, 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 this little like guest house that was the floors were beds. Like when you walked in a bed in the in another room, the whole floor was a bed, and they had pinball machines in the in the other room, Crazy. and that's where we got to hang out. And then they had you know his whole yard is like a was a zoo, and we got to play, but nobody cared. They were just waiting for the rapper. I don't remember who the rapper was. But it was great. You know, you got yeah. to see the grotto and see everything. And all the girls were, instead of wearing like clothes, they were painted on clothes. It looked like they had clothes on, like bikinis or a little outfit out, but it was actually painted. <laughs> so, yeah, that's all through agents. I never, yeah, working for agents and, 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 and stuff like that has been really easy. They make it easy. To, you just get gigs. Like, but then when you're on your own, and you don't know how to book gigs anymore. Right. You're like, forgot how to book gigs. <laughs> then yeah. you're screwed. Then, then you're learning a new life lesson and trying oh, to so trying to get a new skill. Anything. Yeah, yeah, right on. Well, that was awesome. We will definitely pick this up again um, in the future. Thanks to everybody who's listening. Uh, please continue to tell your friends. Please like and subscribe and rate us. It helps us out a lot, and we do appreciate it. Uh, thanks to Dan Formica for hanging out with us and uh, getting to know him a little bit here. Much appreciated, Dan. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Thank I, you I very really... much. All right. Thanks, Paul.